So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. This is the Essential Bible Studies Podcast. My name is Tim Young. And I'm Brian Alexander. This is the podcast that goes well with an open Bible and a hot cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Or a cold bottle of water. Or a cold bottle of water, as you have, Brian. Brian, it's been a long time. I missed you on the podcast. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. You gave a Bible class on 1 Corinthians 13. Yes. And that really ties in with one of our subjects for the season, which is love. We had an earlier podcast on the greatest commandment, which is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and and thy neighbor as thyself. So if anybody hasn't heard that podcast, you can go back and listen to that. It was a few episodes ago. And this is really a compliment to that. We kind of dealt with Jesus talking about that commandment, which was really taken from a passage in Deuteronomy and a passage in Leviticus, and we talked very practically about what Jesus meant by love in that context. And now, with your study here on 1 Corinthians 13, I'd like to compliment that and talk about it in some of the words that are used there. I think uh, I think we're going to geek out a little bit <laughs> on Greek words, <laughs> their definitions, and using our concordances and those kind of things in different versions of the Bible. I'm really looking forward to it. I think this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, is is fantastic. Yeah, it really contains some excellent practical examples of how, in this case, love should affect us and how it should impact the way that we behave towards one another. And especially when you look at the meanings of the words and compare different versions, it can give you some better understanding than you might have when you're reading it the first time from the King James, especially. Yeah, it's really trying not to assume anything about love because I think the Bible really takes these words and puts them on a new plateau, puts them higher in thought than anything that we can think naturally in ourselves, Right. right? Right, exactly. So let's dig in. Let's get geeky on the Greek words a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. And talk about, in the New Testament, the word for love. Right, exactly. So we use the English word love, and just like we use that word as a verb and a noun, it was the same back when the New Testament was written, which, as we know, was written in Greek. So if we want to look at when it says love, and sometimes it might not even say love, like if you look oh, okay. in the King James Version, sometimes it will use the term love, but in 1 Corinthians 13, it uses the word charity. The Greek word that's used is agape or agape. And as we said, there's verbs, there's nouns, there's even when it is used to call someone dearly beloved, that's also a similar use of the word. And they're used upwards of 300 times total when you look at the verb, the noun, the adjective. And if you look at then what the word means in the Strong's Concordance, it has a definition there, and it simply says to love in a social or moral sense, affection or benevolence. Hmm. And that seems to make sense. There's nothing that you would hear that thinks, oh, that's totally different than my understanding of love. But when you look at a similar word for love in the Strong's Concordance Filio, it gives an interesting comparison to look at. Right. So what you're saying here is like, 
in our translations, there's this English word love. But when you go into the Greek, they actually have two different words that they use for love. Exactly. And so we can use love in a lot of different ways. We can talk about love as our passionate desires for another, like in a sexual kind of sense, or we can talk about love as affectionate in that sense. And the Greeks had different words for all of that. Yeah. (laughs) There was that other word, philio, that you're talking about. It's uh, Strong's number 5368. Is that what you got, Brian? Yep. And it says, to be a friend to, fond of an individual or an object, that is, to have affection for, denoting personal attachment as a matter of sentiment or feeling, while agape is wider, embracing especially the judgment and the deliberate assent of the will as a matter of principle, duty, and propriety. Is that the right word? Propriety. Propriety. (laughs) Propriety. The two thus stand related very much as G2309 and G1014, or as G2372 and G3563, respectively. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's interesting, really the throw analogies. Throw me numbers out there. Right. <laughs> I have to dig a little deeper and, and look at all those contrasts he gives us and the different words. But here it is. He says, the former being filio, that is being chiefly of the heart, and the latter, or agape, of the head. Right. And if you look at the other numbers that he mentions, it follows that same pattern of like the 2309, that has something to do with the heart versus then 1014, which is of the head. Mm. And so similarly here, you've got agape, which, as it said, in a, in a moral sense, this is a thought process, that kind of love, as opposed to just of the heart, the natural emotions. And you mentioned philio at the beginning, it says to be a friend. Mm. Well, Greek has this concept of root words, and the root word for philio is philos, which means a friend. And it's interesting to follow that root because philos is often used as the beginning of other words. For example, philosophos, where we might think of philosophy or philosopher. Well, philosophos literally means to be fond, like a friend, of wise things or wisdom, because sophos or sophia, the Greek word for wisdom. So literally, philosopher is someone that's fond of of wisdom. That's one of the cool things about Bible studies. You start seeing some of these Greek words in our language, and you're like, oh, philosophy, yeah, I see the Greek word. Exactly. Interesting. But when we follow up then with agape, it's interesting to look at some of the other things that that have been written about the word, because it's a subject that, as Christadelphians, often gets expounded on. And there was an article in the Christadelphian magazine in 2002 by Michael Ashton, and he described agape as the love that flows from a person's association with God's purpose in Christ, a principled love that is not free from passion, but is not driven by passion. Well, I like that. Yeah, so it's not empty. Yeah. It's not that there's no feeling, but as opposed to the natural kind of love that we might have, affection, that's not the driving force behind it. It is more a knowledge-based, principled love, as it says. Right. And not to dissuade from it, but both loves are extremely important in the life of a believer. Yeah. Both this filial, friendly, fond, affection type of love and this agape love, which is of the head that's a choice, that's a self-sacrificing kind of love. 
I have a quote from Stephen Whitehouse. Uh, actually, he did a podcast with us a few years ago, and he brought out from Thessalonians how there's this aspect of faith, hope, and love in Thessalonians, which was really cool. The podcast was called The Coming of the King. But he had this to say about Agape in a 2009 article in the Christadelphian magazine. He says, The Greek agape takes on a special meaning. It is used to designate a volitional or relating to one's will love as opposed to the purely emotional kind. It is a self-sacrificial love, a kind naturally expressed by God. So I like that definition too. Yeah, that's good. And that brings up this notion of describing agape as self-sacrificing love. And there's some key verses that that help to draw that connection. And one of those is John 15, verse 13, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, greater love, and that's agape, Mm -hmm. greater love hath no man than this. What is that expression of that great love? That a man lay down his life for his friends. And friends, again, that's the word philos, which is connected to philia. So again, you have this two kinds of aspects, but the greatest agape that you can show is if you're willing to lay down your life, sacrifice yourself for those that you love. Right. This is where it comes in handy to mark these things in your Bible and just use a little highlighter or a pencil. I have my agapes in green and my filios in orange, so I can spot them right away. I mean, that's a great definition there, that verse. In verse 12, just right before it, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. So if you want it, the perfect example, you just have to look to the life of Christ, right. which ended in this sacrifice of himself. I think it's really expressive in Romans chapter 5, in verse 8, about this sacrificial agape type of love, because it is mentioned there as well. It says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even though we were ungodly, we were really unlovable in a lot of respects, we were at enmity with God is another way that it puts it in Scripture. Mm -hmm. God still loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, John 3, verse 16. And that's really what this agape love is all about. It's beyond reciprocal kind of things that come to us. It's outward in all its actions. Yeah. Right? And it's typified by God and, of course, typified by the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that they did for mankind. Yeah. So they're expecting us to show that. And now we come to the meat of the podcast here, really, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to describe what love is, both using negative ways and positive ways to really help us understand what it is. Now, there's a whole context behind this chapter. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, which were a very dysfunctional group. (laughs) They were accepting a fornication and sin in their meeting as, yeah, don't worry about it kind of thing. They had false doctrines. They had people that were envious of other people who had these different Holy Spirit gifts than they did. And there was a lot of contention. Yeah. So in the context, this chapter 13 that's so beautifully expressive of what love is, is really like a parenthesis 
in the midst of this, where Paul is talking about their contention over spirit gifts. And you can get the connection back in chapter 12 and verse 31, because he says, you should earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is this way of love. And that's the way he introduces this aspect. So he's really saying, love is not about what you get. It's about what you give. Right. And so his whole thing here is, is showing us what love is. I like to sit down and just look at different versions. And this is really helpful in this case. And what I did was I just put in a spreadsheet. Now, Bible programs, they often have like where you can parallel different versions. But they often do it on a verse level. Mm-hmm. I like to break it down even more like to <laughs> phrase to level, you know, because yeah. you can get a better sense of where the differences are in the different versions. So I've done that in a spreadsheet and I'll I'll put it in the show notes if anybody's interested in doing that themselves. And I find it helpful to do it myself because it stops you and helps you to kind of slow down and really appreciate and think about all the different ways that Paul expresses love here. And when you put them all together, you can see sometimes the translations are all very equal and you say, okay, well, that's pretty sure that that's what that means. But sometimes you get variances in the translations. You think, oh, they're probably having a harder time with translating the Greek into English. And those sometimes they get very interesting saying, which which translation do I prefer? And those kind of things, or they make, they just make you think about things in different ways or different interpretations, right? Yeah. I think it helps you too to get kind of an overview of the whole thing. You don't mm-hmm. want to lose sight of the forest for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. One thing we'll notice as we start looking through the aspects of love, the way that they're described here, is that it's very similar to the way that God's character is described in Exodus 34. Oh, that's cool. We know that's the the time where Moses said to God, show me your glory. Right. And the way that God revealed his glory was then by describing his character. And the Apostle John picks that up in his epistle where he says God is love. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that God's character would be very much compatible with the way that love is described and the way it should be seen in us. So if you look through Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, and see the way that God's love is described being merciful and gracious, abundant in goodness and truth, you can see those themes very clearly coming out here, as well, the way that Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, you'll see a lot of those same words being used here in 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, it might be helpful to kind of lay those out side by side and just kind of parallel them together. So why don't we get into it? We can just go line by line here. And I think as any great piece of art, which this is really (laughs) one of the most wonderful sections of the Bible, you really want to just kind of look at the details because you can stand back and you can see the beauty in what Paul is saying here. Mm -hmm. But as we go through all the details, it really is wonderful. What I thought I would do is I just read it straight through. And then we'll go through each one of these lines. I'm going to start chapter 13. This is verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So that's that passage from the ESV. And as it starts, I think Paul starts off in a very important part of it. He says that love is patient and kind. I think the King James uses the word long-suffering. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that idea because really love is long-suffering. Like it suffers through a lot. It's not quick or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There's some good cross-references here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where Paul also talks about this importance for long-suffering associated with love. He says there, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's that word patience again, or long-suffering, that he puts in this aspect of bearing with one another in love. That's the first thing we got to think, that this... Love really just endures and takes a long time, and it's not quick to anger or rashness in that sense. It's also kind, and that word is really a word that has a lot of action in it. Uh, One writer, his name is Dennis Gillett, in a book called Genius of Discipleship, said that kindness is love communicating. I thought that was a lovely way to put it, because it's just not something that's internal. It has to be shown in actions. Yeah, that's right? something you can see in the way that you behave with other right. people. It's very beneficial. Mm-hmm. What about the next line, Brian? So the next one, it continues, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Mm. And if we were to look in the King James, it uses terms like vaunting. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. And the idea of being puffed up. It's like a balloon. It's filled with air. It's not really filled with anything of substance. (laughs) And that was the way that the Corinthians were acting. It's a term that's used to describe pride, which is we puffing up ourselves, thinking that we are bigger and greater than we are. And we get the idea you're full of hot air or you've got a big head. (laughs) (laughs) Those are things that we still use today. And it's the same kind of idea here about being puffed up. And if you follow that Greek word for puffed up, it's used several times in the book of 1 Corinthians. And one of them, uh, if you go back to chapter 8, verse 1, that's the, the nearest one before 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Now, as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. So there's the contrast again. Love should not be puffed up. Knowledge can do that to us. We can get this idea that we know something and we know more than someone else. And then we think that we are more important or better because of that. And we're puffed up instead of having love 
and edifying. And that word edify means to build up. Mm-hmm. So you have quite a contrast. Are we, are we building up? And to build something, you need strong materials. You put some work into it. It takes effort. You want to do it right versus being puffed up, which is really just full of, of nothing of substance. Yeah, I see that in the Corinthian Ecclesia too. There's another example back in chapter 5 where it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. It's that word arrogant in the ESV that you find out is the same word as puffed up right? or to boast in that sense. You're boasting about this. So it was actually... In that sense, they thought they were being loving towards a person who was actually committing a sexual immoral act. And Paul says, you got it all upside down and and wrong. Yeah. Right. So that's not love. That's something of arrogance. And so it's easy to mistake sometimes thinking that we're actually being loving, but we're not because you have to deal with these kind of things. If somebody's sinning, it's not love to say, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. We try to turn them from sin and to be saved. Exactly. And that term envy is interesting as well. Mm. We all understand what it means to be envious. And back in the same passage in Proverbs, in chapter 14, it says that envy is the rottenness of the bones. Ooh. <laughs> and that's just a really interesting phrase in the in the King James because if you have envy, if, if that's consuming you, it really can corrupt you all the way to the inside. It can yeah. control you. And yeah. so that's, that's not a way to be showing love if we're, we're envious of, of one another. Right, right. It's not really trusting or rejoicing in, in one another. Well, the next line says, love is not rude. In the ESV, <laughs> the... King James says it does not behave itself unseemly. Now, this is one of those places where it's interesting to look at different translations. The NIV says it does not dishonor others. The uh, New American Standard Bible says it does not act disgracefully. And then the Phillips version, J.B. Phillips, says love has good manners. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting word, isn't it? And something that we might lose sight of when we're dealing with one another. I think a lot of people especially lose sight of it when they're online and they're making comments, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Somehow we think behind these shields that we can be rude or, or demeaning to other people. And even though we think they might be wrong and those kind of things, we lose our tempers and you start name calling and mm-hmm. really throwing inappropriate types of behavior out there. And I've been in situations where I've been guilty of that and been on the other side of the receiving end of those kind of things, right? And you can see that in the Corinthian Ecclesia, and it happens in our lives as well. Love maintains this order of decorum Mm -hmm. where it doesn't ratchet things up. You know, when you start spilling forth things that are rude, those tend to escalate situations not in the right way. We need a soft answer that turns away wrath in that sense, right? So I, I think about that one. That's a really important one. Yeah, and it's so easy to fall into that trap. And it's really, like you said, it's a cycle. Once mm. it once it starts, it's hard to stop because you get defensive 
and you start reacting in the same way that yeah. others around you are reacting. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, like Paul continues when he says in verse 5 that love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And insisting on your own way, the King James says, seeketh not her own. The net translation says it is not self-serving. And that's something else that is so just ingrained in human nature. Children in particular, you see that they, they're just born with a, a selfish nature. Yeah. You know, In the beginning, it's just they have the basic needs of life and they can't provide anything for themselves. And so they, they naturally are, are seeking their own happiness and survival. And as we grow up, we need to start to realize that the example of Christ is the opposite of being selfish. Christ did everything for others. And if we want to develop that kind of love in our own lives, that's the kind of attitude that we have to have. Esteeming one another better than ourselves is another phrase. Oh, yeah. Back to the J.B. Phillips, it says, it does not pursue selfish advantage. Mm -hmm. This type of love really has nothing to do with ourselves. It's with, with everybody else. And thinking of ourselves is nothing and everybody else is something, right? Right. It's sacrificing ourself. That's something mm, we looked at before. Yeah. So if we're sacrificing ourself, then we really are not doing anything positive for ourselves in that sense. It really yeah. needs to do things for others. The next line says, it is not irritable or resentful. The King James says it's not easily provoked for that word irritable. It's an interesting way of putting it. Other translations say it's not easily angered. Anger is something that we've already talked about. You have to be s slow to anger, long-suffering, or patient. But anger is one of those qualities that you have to be slow to. It's something that naturally, if we let it flare up easily, it's a product of our own fleshly thinking, right? It's mm -hmm. not always wrong to be angry about things that are, are sin and those things, but we too often as human beings get caught in this sin of, of anger. And love is the complete opposite of that. So it really goes with the long suffering. And you can see, yeah, there's the positive and the negative. We need to be patient, which right. is long suffering, and we need to not be easily Ang angered. Angered, so yeah. See both sides there. Yeah. The next one is really interesting. It says, or resentful in the ESV. Here's again where the other translations are, are interesting. The NIV says it keeps no records of wrongs. Mm -hmm. The NASB says does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. And when you look at it up in the Strong's Concordance, you looked at the very kind of literal meaning of it. Let me just do that now. The King James has thinketh no evil, but it's that word thinketh which literally means to take an inventory. <laughs> and so it has this idea of, of not holding grudges. Right. Uh, now, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because when you're wronged, we tend to hold on to those kind of things. So love is forgiving in that sense, right? It doesn't keep a ledger about every wrong that somebody's done to us and say, I remember when you did this, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, love is very forgetful in that way. And so when it thinketh no evil, it really means from the King James perspective, 
is that when we look at a person, we're not thinking of all the bad things that they've done in their life. We're looking forward to what they can be in their life and rejoicing in that, right? Right. Yeah, because if we think about all the wrong things that we're doing to other people, we wouldn't want other people to be keeping track of that either. And it says that if if God were to mark iniquities, if he were to remember all the things we did wrong, who would stand? (laughs) None of us would, because we all do things wrong and we all repeat the same wrong things. So why should we be so critical to one another? And of course we shouldn't. Right. There's that example where Peter came to Jesus and says, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus said, I say unto you, 70 times seven. Yeah. Right? It's just go way beyond what you think is normal. Exactly. We come down to verse six, Mm. and it says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The King James very similarly rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This is one of those verses where when you look at other translations, it can kind of change the meaning a little bit. Hmm. J.B. Phillips is a really interesting example of that because it says that love does not keep account of evil that you mentioned, or here's where the verse six starts, or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. So I think there's two, maybe more than two, but at least two aspects that I can see when we're looking at this idea of rejoicing not in wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth. And one of those gets back to your point about the Corinthian Ecclesia, how they were, in a sense, rejoicing at wrongdoing. There was those members in the Ecclesia that were doing wrong things, and they were overlooking that. And they were puffed up almost rejoicing in the fact that they were allowing that wrong behavior to happen because they had a false idea of, well, showing love means that we let those false teachings or false behaviors go instead of addressing those. Right. So here Paul is saying you you shouldn't be rejoicing in the fact that you're tolerant of wrongdoing. You need to rejoice when the things of the truth are being upheld. And that's actually better for the person that is doing the wrong thing to be rebuked and to be told what the truth is, because that's going to result in their salvation. And then this other aspect of not gloating over the wickedness of other people. I think we can sometimes, again, if we're, if we're puffed up and if we think that we are doing things correctly, that we're a righteous person, we can look at people that are doing wrong things, and rather than having an attitude of how can I help that person to see what the truth is, we can have this inflated view of ourselves and gloat over the fact that we're righteous and they're wicked. And that's also not a productive attitude. And Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God isn't going to drag us kicking and screaming into the kingdom. But he doesn't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants us all to repent and turn to him. Right. So that's the same attitude we should have. There's a principle, it's like in the Proverbs, it says, rejoice not when your enemy falls. Right. So it's this aspect of being sad because we want everybody to be saved. Like God, we want to be long-suffering to all, not willing that any should perish. Right, exactly. And if we allow false teaching or wrong behavior to 
continue unchecked, Paul uses the analogy of gangrene. In the King James, he uses the term canker. Mm. And the whole idea of that is if you don't deal with that, it continues to spread and it eats away and destroys healthy tissue. Right. So that's the risk if you allow those things to happen. Even if you think it's out of love that you're allowing that to continue, it's actually going to be very detrimental to the body as a whole. Yeah. Just think of some old movies like where somebody gets gangrene in their leg and they have to saw off their leg and you think, oh, that's really a necessary thing to do in love for the health of the person that they'll continue to live because there was no other way right. to get around it, but it was very unpleasant. Yeah. But unlike the, the human body, where if you cut off that leg, it's not coming back. Whereas in the ecclesial body, you can remove something. And Paul talks about removing something that it may come back. And there's always that hope that if something is removed because it needs to be dealt with, there is always the hope and the goal that that there can be reconciliation there. Yeah, that's an interesting passage because we often think of love as being contradictory to judgment or truth in that sense. But from a biblical perspective, they really are complementary. Right. They go together. So I think even Paul in a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 talks about speaking the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So love rejoices in truth. And that's really something to think about and ponder is we have to apply that in our lives. Okay, let's go on the home stretch here. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much to consider here. But this last part, he says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I like how he stresses the all things there. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing here that's outside of this. There's no justification outside of it. There's no if, and, or but. No room for exceptions. <laughs> exactly. Love covers all these things. And he says, Love bears all things. It's another very interesting word to look at in your Strong's Concordance in the definition because it literally means to cover over or to roof over as the roof of a house, to cover something in that way as maybe like an umbrella. (laughs) How does love bear all things? There's a cross-reference here going again back to Proverbs. Maybe Paul had a lot of Proverbs in mind. But there's uh, specifically two uh, for us to think about in this aspect that the word bear means to cover. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. That one says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And there's another one in Proverbs 17 verse 9, which you should read together with that one. It says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Repeating a matter is like gossip. Right. It's like kind of broadcasting it abroad, like, look what this person did. This is what they're doing wrong. Can you believe it? You know? Yeah. That's not love. Love is seeking to protect the person who is doing something wrong, who has endangered themselves or has spoken against you, those kind of things, just keeps it quiet, keeps it to yourself. It's not sweeping it under the rug and covering it in that way, but it's the aspect of keeping it to oneself because love is often based on trust. And you have to have trust to be open with one another and to be able to speak freely. 
And that's what love encourages, and that's what love brings. Yeah, there's definitely this concept of privacy here. Mm. If you're in your home, under your roof, you can deal with something in a private matter. And unfortunately, today with technology, it's so easy to broadcast things and discuss things in an open forum. Let them slip and yeah. Yeah, and there's just really no need for that kind of thing when advice here is, if you deal with something in a private manner between the parties involved, that's all that needs to happen. Yeah. It doesn't need to go broader than that. Yeah. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 18. When there's an offense, you go to that person yourself and you talk about it. Yeah. If they won't accept it, then you bring two or three others. You know, it's really kind of keeping it in a tight circle before yeah. anything else happens. And then the, the last three, I think, can go really well together here, mm. where love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And you mentioned in the previous podcast with our Stephen Whitehouse looking at faith, hope, and love in Thessalonians. And it's, it's interesting looking at those three things in several other passages. You'll find those often close to one another. And the word for believeth, it is very similar to the word for faith. Mm-hmm. So yeah, verse 7 and verse 13 really go nicely together. So you've got here, love includes faith and hope. Love Mm. believes all things. Love hopes all things. But it endures all things. Why why is it enduring? Well, if we think about what is the, the role of faith and hope, and some good verses can be used here to help us understand that, one being Hebrews 11 verse 1, very well-known verse. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, you've got both words there, the evidence of things not seen. Mm, yeah. We need faith now because we believe the kingdom is coming, but we don't see it yet. Right. We hope that it's coming, but we don't see it yet. Paul says that you don't hope for something if you see it. You hope for things you don't see. He says that in Romans 8, verse 24. Yeah. So we have to have that faith and hope now, but when Christ returns and establishes the kingdom, we won't need faith and hope anymore because that's all about things we don't see. When we see Christ in the earth, when we see the kingdom established, we won't have faith and hope, but we will have love. Love will endure. Love endures all things. And that's why in verse 13, the greatest of these is love. That's what's going to endure. Yeah, that's really, really wonderful. I think he says that in the context, like in verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So we're going to be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. There won't be any faith or hope in that because you'll see it. But love will always endure. And it has that enduring aspect, right? Yeah. That it will overcome all, I think some other translations say. When we talk about our, our life as believers, this is our goal is agape love. When you see this in Scripture, every time that there's a list of qualities that we're supposed to have, this agape love tops the list yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it is basically the, the fruit or the expression that we give forth in our lives. I just love to read from J.B. Phillips. I think it summarizes and just gives a great rendering of verse 7 and into verse 8. It says that love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. 
I think that's just beautifully written. Yeah. That is wonderful. And I thank you very much, Brian, for coming here and going through this chapter with us. I feel like I've just begun the study, though. (laughs) Really, there's just so much in this chapter to consider and have it take us different places in the scripture and really to think about how are we applying this in our lives, that we're not just sitting here at a desk with our Bibles open thinking about these things, but we're actually living them day by day in our actions. Yeah, it can't be just knowledge. It has to affect the way we live. Right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tim. (laughs) We are giving away free stuff. Free? Free. You like that word? I love that. These are what we call the Essential Bible Study Media Kits. Tell me more. (laughs) You like stickers, Brian? Yes. You like bookmarks? Yes. You like business cards? Do I? (laughs) It's all there. It's a really cool way to share the podcast. And I know you, Brian, you'd probably keep some of them for yourself, and I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, you should see my laptop. Stickers on the laptop. Oh, yeah. That's a great place to put these. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook, and then wait by the mailbox for them to come. If you like the podcast, please just take a little bit of time and rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you see stars. Do you like seeing stars, Brian? Sure do. How many stars do you like to see? Five, please. (laughs) Little things like this can be a big boost for spreading these essential Bible studies. If you're the social media type, are you the social media type, Brian? Sometimes. then you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and or Twitter, depending on how socially media you are. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. If you're in the neighborhood, you really should drop by and say hi. Our website is www.bookroadchristadelphians.ca where you can check out all our classes on video. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.